appreciate you. What a joy to see those little ones up here too, huh? Always fun. Makes moms and dads nervous, doesn't it? No doubt about that. Well, one of the most joyful realities of all of life is the birth of a newborn baby. I mean, can't you hear, if you think about it in your mind, the cries of a newborn, that special, unique cry? Or looking into the eyes of a newborn for the first time, you look down at that baby and and those big eyes staring back at you? Or those tiny little fingers as they wrap around your finger? Oh, there's nothing quite like a precious newborn. Well, this morning, we're going to think about the birth of a newborn over 2,000 years ago. Yes, the birth of Jesus Christ. What difference does the birth of Jesus make? How should the reality of his coming to earth shape our lives? These are the questions that we'll think about as we look in John chapter 1. Now, the book of John was written by the Apostle John somewhere between 80 and 90 A.D. Uh, The Apostle John walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus' ministry, saw his miracles, was with him all along the way. He's an eyewitness of the things that that he shares. Let's take a look at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, in verse 9, we see that the true light was coming into the world. John doesn't yet tell us what that's going to be like. He waits until verse 14 for further explanation. But Jesus will bring light into this world. He will enable us to see. The word world here is a picture of the corrupt world system that is opposed to God. So it is into this sinful and dark world that the light will shine, that Christ will come. What we see in verse 10 is that Jesus literally came to this earth. He was in the world, just like you and I are in the world. Even most skeptics admit that Jesus was indeed an historical figure. There's simply too much evidence for Christ's existence. So Christianity isn't merely an upper story or esoteric religion, as 20th century Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer put it. Other religions give us spiritual teaching only, that is, upper story truths only. But Christianity, on the other hand, roots its spiritual message in human history. And this certainly makes Christianity unique. So we can ask, Is Christianity accurate where it addresses lower story truths, where it addresses historical truths? If so, then we can have confidence in what the Bible teaches us regarding upper story or spiritual truths. So when you read about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, for example, was there a Bethlehem? Absolutely. There was a town called Bethlehem then. 
And if you read the New Testament accounts and you see that Jesus was born when Herod was king over Judea, was there a king, Herod, who ruled over Judea in this time? Absolutely there was. You, you bet there was. So when the Bible tells us that we're saved by repenting from our sins and putting our faith in Christ, we can have confidence in the spiritual message. That it's true because we're able to test the lower story truths, the historical facts of the Christian faith. Again, this makes Christianity unique. Is there any evidence for Jesus outside of the Bible? Absolutely. Let me share but one example with you. The Roman historian Tacitus lived somewhere around 60 to 120 A.D., uh, he, he wrote about the Roman persecution of Christians that occurred in 64 AD. There was a great fire in Rome, and the people were, were blaming the emperor, Nero. And so Nero had to come up with someone to, to put this on, to try to regain the favor of the people. And he decided to blame Christians for the, the burning of Rome. Now, the historian Tacitus wrote, Nero set up as the culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty a class of people hated for their abominations who were commonly called Christians. Christus, from whom their name is derived, was executed at the hands of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Now at this point in time, Christianity is only a few decades old, but it has already made such an impact on the empire that it's so well known that Nero could blame the Christians. Now that's pretty amazing if you think about it. This small band of followers over here in Israel have already had such an impact that they are well known across the whole of the Roman Empire. So Tacitus mentions Christus. This is an obvious reference to Jesus. He also mentions Pontius Pilate and Tiberius. These names are familiar to us not because we're Roman historians, they're familiar to us because they're the very characters we find in the Gospels. You see, Christianity takes spiritual upper story truth and roots it in history. And for this reason, we can have great confidence in the message of Christianity. We can have great confidence in the Gospel. So as Jesus mentioned outside of the New Testament, you bet he is. We've seen but one example this morning. There are others. For time's sake, we won't look at them. So we trust the message of Christianity. And if you're here today, you're listening or you're listening online and you're not a Christian, maybe you would classify yourself as a skeptic or an agnostic. You're, you're not sure where you're at. I want to challenge you to look at the evidence. Consider the evidence for the reality of who Jesus is and the message that he preached. There are good reasons to believe in Jesus and his message. Still, Following Jesus will always be an act of faith. God meant for it to be an act of faith. However, it is certainly not blind or foolish faith. Now, not only did Jesus come into the world, John here tells us that Jesus created the world. He's the creator. The word, as Jesus is called in, in verse 1, came into the world that he created. Yet the very world that he made didn't recognize him. Do you see the irony? He made the world, and yet the world rejected him. In verse 11, Jesus came to the Jews. He was a Jew, and he came to the Jews, but the Jews wouldn't receive him. 
In fact, Pilate, the governor, asked in Matthew chapter 27, verses 22 and 23, what should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, crucify him. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. Who was shouting for the execution of Jesus? It was the Jews. The Jews were. Indeed, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. On the other hand, as we see in verses 12 and 13, some did receive him. Some did believe in him. And to those, John tells us, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Now, it's important to take note of this truth. People aren't automatically God's children. Now, all people are God's creation, but people aren't necessarily God's children. What does it take to be God's child? Well, well John says plainly, we must turn to Jesus in faith to, to become a child of God. When we receive him and believe in his name, he adopts us. We become his. How incredible is that? Those who believe in Jesus aren't born from natural descent or from flesh and blood as, as children are conceived and born here on earth. No, this is a spiritual work, John says, not by the will of humanity, but by the will of God. Salvation is God's work. In John 3, 3, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can you be born again? How can you become a child of God and be adopted into his family? Well, the Bible tells us that God is holy. In him, there's no shifting shadow. He is absolutely pure. But every one of us, we're broken in sin. We're, we're guilty before God. We're separated from him because of our sin. We're not part of his family. Yet in his great love, God sent his son Jesus. It's exactly what we're talking about this morning. And Jesus lived a perfect life while on earth. He was nailed to the cross, and on the cross he took the punishment for our sins upon himself. He was buried, and God raised him from the dead, proving that he's who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do. And when we turn from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus, God does a miracle, takes all of the sin in our lives, and he puts it on his son, and he takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he gives it to us and now we can be in a right standing with a perfect God and we can enter into a perfect heaven not because we're good but because the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been given to us what good news we can know Christ personally we can be a part of God's family now in verse 14 John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us to help us grasp all that John is saying, let's take a look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John tells us that God's Word, His self-revelation has come in the flesh. We call this the doctrine of the incarnation. God the Son came here and took on human flesh. John tells us that He was an eyewitnesses, eyewitness of Jesus' glory. Has John had observed Jesus' baptism, his miracles, the transfiguration where his glory was supernaturally revealed? 
and he had observed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, John had seen the glory of the incarnate Son of God. The glory found in the Son was certainly not seen by all. As you read the rest of this gospel, that fact will become clear. Throughout the book of John, faith will be required to see the glory of God. Jesus has a father-son relationship with God. He is the unique or the one and only Son of God. Notice in verse 1 that the word who was with God is also God. So the Bible tells us that Jesus called God Son, but Jesus also called God Himself. How can this be? Well, this is mind-blowing for us. We're finite creatures. We can't grasp the greatness and the wonder of God. But this points to, to what we call the doctrine of the Trinity, the understanding that there's one God who exists as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each co-equal, each co-eternal. So God the Son literally became human. He is fully God and fully man. The Greek word for dwelt among us literally means that he made his tent among us or he tabernacled among us. And again, this is probably a reference to the Old Testament when God would meet with his people in the tabernacle, that, that great tent. The Father is said here to be full of grace and truth. You see, the sending of Jesus Christ to this earth is proof of God's grace, of his undeserved kindness toward us. But also God is said here to be full of truth. He's reliable. What he says, you can count on it. Now, years before the coming of Christ had been prophesied via the prophets, and now God has fulfilled his word in the birth of his son. He has kept his word. So what is John's testimony to us this morning? Because Jesus came, become a child of God. Because Jesus came, become a child of God. This babe who was born in a manger grew up and gave his life, his life and sacrifice that we might be saved. Friends, this morning... I want you to know this. You cannot be indifferent about Jesus. You can't be indifferent about Jesus. You have to make a decision, the decision to receive Jesus, to become a child of God, to make no decision about Jesus is indeed a decision. You need to recognize that. You need to understand that. Today, believe in Him. Know Him. Imagine being in the middle of nowhere in the dark of night with absolutely no light, not even ambient light from a nearby city. The moon is not shining. All that you see are stars twinkling in the distance, in the dark black of night. Some ways away you hear what almost sounds like wolves howling. Perhaps the sound of a bear growling, you're not sure. What would be going through your mind in these moments? You don't have a gun, not even a pocket knife. You look in every direction and you have no idea where to go. You have no idea what to do. Your heart is racing. You feel beads of sweat building on your forehead. But imagine that out of nowhere, 
Up drives a, a big old Ford truck with, with headlights shining bright. The fellow driving offers you some help. What relief! What relief! Do you see, friends, this is what God has done? This is what he has done. He has shown up here while we were wandering around in darkness without hope. He he sent his son. The light has come. Should you turn that ride down? You'd be crazy to keep wandering around in darkness. Friend, jump in the truck. Don't stay in the dark. Believe in the Lord Jesus. The light has come. How do you become a child of God? Well, first, recognize who Jesus is, the God-man. Over and over in Scripture, we see that Jesus is both God and man. We must believe this testimony. Now, many of the cults get things wrong at this point. The Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, teach that Jesus is not God, but a creation of God, that he's Michael the archangel. The... the, Mormons or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teach that Jesus was once a person like we are, but that he advanced to godhood, that he became divine. Or Muslims, for example, teach that Jesus was just a human being that God chose as a prophet. So when these groups talk about Jesus, they're talking about a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. To become a child of God, we must believe in the Jesus of the Bible. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. Yes, this God-man brought light to the darkness. Have you ever put your faith in the God-man? Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? How do you become a child of God? Well, first, recognize who Jesus is. Second, recognize what Jesus did. He came on a mission. As we celebrate Christmas, it's easy to, to get sentimental. We focus on that little baby boy and the manger. And that's important. It reminds us that God took on flesh and came humbly to our world. But that manger and that baby boy is not the end of the story. He came for a reason. He was on a mission to redeem. He died in our place that we might become children of God. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To become a child of God, you must believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he was buried, and that God raised him from the dead. You must believe the gospel message. Have you recognized what Jesus did for you? Have you believed the gospel? How can you become a child of God? First, recognize who Jesus is. Second, recognize what Jesus came to do. And third, realize what you must do. Turn to Jesus in faith. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word repent means to have a change of heart. It means that you don't want to live a life of rebellion against God any longer. You want to turn away from sin. You, you want to follow Jesus. Have you ever turned away from your sin and believed in Jesus? So how do you become a child of God? Recognize who Jesus is. Recognize what Jesus did and put your faith in Jesus. So what is Christmas to you? For many, it's a time to to get together with family, a time to enjoy some, some good food, some yummy treats, 
It's a time to decorate, celebrate, listen to some Christmas tunes. But really, what is Christmas about to you? Is it just about food and family and fun? Or is Christmas something more to you? Friend, this Christmas, enjoy family. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the fun. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. You'll miss the real point. Christmas reminds us of that baby boy who came into a dark world. It reminds us of that baby boy who was born to die, to shine the light of life. Today, trust in him. Jump in the truck. Draw near to him. Because Jesus came, become a child of God. Friend, one day, you're going to die. And when you do, you'll stand before God in all of his blazing purity. And on that day, you have one hope and one hope only. That is that you have turned from your sin and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ On that day, you will not plead with God and tell him what a good person you are. Your goodness will be a joke before God and all of his holiness. Friends, so will mine. My only hope, your only hope, is that you know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Have you been born again? Have you put your faith in him? If you haven't, I want to challenge you today. Turn to him. If you're listening online, text the word Jesus to our church phone number and someone will be in contact. If you're here today, in just a few minutes, we'll stand and sing. And when we do, I'll be up here. A couple of other elders will be up here. We would love to visit with you more about turning to Christ. Of course, you don't have to talk with us. You can talk to Jesus right where you're at, but we would love to walk alongside you in this journey. For those of you who are believers, I want to ask you, How should you respond to today's message? Well, first, be grateful. Spend time thanking God that he brought you into his family through Christ. Be thankful for the sacrifice of Christ. And then as you focus on that sacrifice, allow allow his love and his goodness to draw you ever nearer. If you know him, you should love him. You should recognize what he's done and desire to to grow deeper and deeper in your knowledge of him. So brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian who's sort of been skating on the edges, you haven't really drawn near to the Lord, let this Christmas season be a time for change. Draw near to him. Love him. Ask him to move in your heart and, and help you to treasure him above all things. And finally, if you know Jesus, I want to ask you, are you sharing this good news of Jesus with others? Are you giving away this greatest gift of all, the message of the gospel, that we can be saved and reconciled with God? This morning, if you know Jesus, I want to challenge you to ask the Lord to put someone in your heart to share him with. Begin praying for that person and look for an opportunity to have a gospel conversation. How could we know and understand this wonder of wonders and not share this good news with others. Join me in prayer.